God is a good father. And we are all his children. And God has given us the wonderful privilege of being a part of his household. That he is the head of his family. And we call them God's family, God's people. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 15 talks about instructors and fathers. The Apostle Paul, writing to a troubled church, tells this church that is full of problems and full of all kinds of difficulties that you have many instructors in Christ, but yet have you not many fathers. There's a difference in an instructor and a father. There's a difference in someone that teaches and communicates material and one who fathers. A fathering pastor, a fathering leader, a fathering shepherd is a biblical example of the relationship God wants his people to have with leaders that he's placed in those fatherly positions. Amen. If you're begotten by the gospel, and all of us in this house are begotten by the gospel, then someone preached the message, someone communicated the word, someone got the idea to you that Jesus is right for whatever's wrong in your life. And that preacher who won you to Christ biblically says, he, you're begotten, he begot get you. You're born of the Spirit, born from above. Therefore, you have this, this spiritual new birth because somebody shared with you some news that Jesus could give you another life, a different life and change everything for you. So you have spiritual fathers among you. In Israel, they were called spiritual fathers. Hey, we know about spiritual mothers, but God also wants us to have spiritual fathers, fathers that are influencers. You know, that's exactly what leadership is. It's influence, influence. For people to be people of influence, to have fathers in the church who are people of influence, they have to live a life that they don't mind others watching their life. They don't mind others evaluating and looking at the attributes and the characteristics of a person who is influential in the church. The Bible calls them, they seem to be pillars in the church. Or they seem to be outstanding people that uh, in an architectural way uh, support and hold up the church, encouragers, they're word-oriented, they're spirit-minded, they're, they're faith-motivated, and they communicate encouragement, and they communicate blessing to people that need to hear words of encouragement. The church needs spiritual fathers. All of us need spiritual fathers in our lives, people that we look to for admonition, for love and support, for instruction and righteousness. Those people have to abound in order for a church to be healthy. God wants a healthy church. And a healthy church is not a healthy church unless relationships are good and, and fathers and children, spiritual children, spiritual fathers have relationship in the church. Amen. I, I hope after 32 years I'm somewhat of a father. Amen. Well, I've been here a long time, and I've seen a lot of, lot of people come and go. Amen. And that is the order of things, I guess, in, in the kingdom of God. But God has so fixed it so that we could have this relationship with God as our heavenly Father. In fact, the Bible said, Jesus said, when you pray, say this, our Father, our Father. Wow, could we just pray that prayer? Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil for Thine is the kingdom, and thine is the power, and thine is the glory 
forever and ever. Amen. Wow. That's been called the Lord's Prayer, but it's actually our prayer. It's the prayer, it's the model that Jesus gave us and many sermons and series have been preached about the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. I just want to talk to you about some good things about a good father. Number one, a good father is a guardian. He's a protector. He's one who watches and stands guard for his family. He's the one that first feels the wind of adversity when it blows. He's the one that first experiences the gale of the storm. He's the one that first stands out front as a shield, as it were, for his family. In fact, the Bible tells us that a father that would not care for his own family is worse than an infidel. Well, we know what an infidel is, don't we? Infidel, L, meaning God. He doesn't believe in God. Doesn't believe in God. That's an infidel. That's different from an agnostic. An agnostic is one who believes in God, just doesn't believe he does what he says. And the Bible said that in the last days there would be days of apostasy. There would come times. In fact, the Bible described those times as perilous times. Perilous. That means dangerous times. And truly, folks, we are living in perilous times. Perilous physically. Well, every time we turn on the news, we see about talks about reducing nuclear uh, arms and about uh, stopping the arms race because we're going headlong into a situation where eventually there's going to be some kind of a foul-up that happened before. Mistakes have happened before. We've come very, very close. Why, at one time we were told there are missiles in the air and speeding toward cities in America. And it was a, a test that someone didn't know if it was real or not. And thank God he finally decided it was a test and we didn't go headlong into World War III. We have the capacity right now to destroy our world. We have the capacity. It's when the, uh, in the ability of mankind right now to destroy the whole earth. Wow. And we've been living under that cloud for a long time. During years of Cold War, we sat very tense as, as we had missiles in, in Cuba that were aimed at certain cities in America. And we held our breath as our president put a blockade around, around Cuba. And finally, someone had blinked and we have averted World War III. Our world is a perilous world. There are diseases and viruses right now in our world that we don't know how to cope with those. There are viruses that are getting wiser and the antis that we've used for so long are losing their effect now. And we wonder how much longer we've got before some epidemic or pandemic happens. And if you were just looking at things as they are and looking at the world, you would be very pessimistic today. In fact, there's an entire network that is all about how the world ends. Wow. But the Bible said, when men begin to cry, peace and safety, then sudden destruction shall come upon them and they shall not awake. In fact, the Bible says that in the last days, men's hearts would fail them for fear of what was about to come upon the earth. Are you hearing this pastor today? So there, we, these are perilous times. But worse than that physical threat, there is a spiritual threat. We have an enemy, an adversary, who is diligently pursuing a plan to murder, destroy, steal, mar, ruin everything about this church and churches like it. Not just this church, but your entire family. And if your family ever needed a father 
that would stand up and protect his family, then it needs it now. If godly fathers who saw themselves as protectors and guardians of their family would realize the tremendous responsibility that God has placed upon them to care for their family as a father, to protect them and to, and to guard with vigilance the advancements of the enemy who wants to destroy every family in here. Did you know there is an enemy of your soul, an enemy of your family that is right now plotting a course for your destruction? Right now, every one of you, if the devil could have his way today, he would destroy, murder, rob every one of us. But for God's grace and God's mercy, and thanks be to God for a heavenly Father that watches over me. Thanks God for a heavenly Father whose eye is upon the righteous. Thanks God for a heavenly Father that knows when a sparrow folds its wings and falls to the ground that he's there and present on the spot. It doesn't say that he knows about it. The Bible says that he's not only there, but the verb implies presence. You mean God is present when a sparrow falls? Boy. And then the writer says, don't you know are not ye greater than sparrows? Don't you know if your father shows up to cup his hands and break the fall of a sparrow that he's going to show up when you need him? That he's a heavenly father who cares about you that will be on the scene when you need his help? Fathers are protectors. Fathers are the ones that have that concern. I remember when, I've told it to you many times, when Tracy McFarland was up at Jacksonville in the hospital having Brent. I was coming home from General Assembly and I got up to about Montgomery, I think it was, I got a phone call from Clayton and he told me that Tracy was in trouble and that the doctor had told him they may lose the baby and may lose Tracy too, may lose them both. I said, I'll be there as soon as I can get there. Went by home, left Debbie and the kids, grabbed uh, some more clothes and took off, come up to the, going through Alexandra, going over toward, toward Jacksonville. And I remember when I went across the railroad tracks, I said, God, what do you want me to tell them? And God said, you go tell Clayton that everything's going to be all right. Well, why not Margie? Better still, why not Tracy? Why not Dwayne? Why did God say go find the father and tell the father of that family everything's going to be all right? Come on, somebody. It's because God knows that fathers look out for their family, that fathers are the ones that, 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 that pray. Fathers are the ones that stand guard. Fathers, fathers are the one that says you're getting too close to that fire. Fathers are the one that said don't play in the street. Fathers are the ones that say don't run on the concrete. Huh? Fathers are the ones that say chew your food before you swallow. Come on. Fathers are the ones that's always on the lookout. Come on, somebody. That's a father. That's a father's heart. It's a father's mind. And he's a protector of his family. When Elisha, is it in 2 Kings? I think you've got up there for me, Jimmy. When Elisha, the Bible said he was the servant of Elijah. And the Bible said that he poured water on the hands of Elijah. Well, you know, as long as he poured water on the hands of Elijah, that was all that was needed. But suddenly, one day, Elijah is gone. He goes up in a whirlwind, and he's no longer with us. And Elisha realized, is there no prophet of the Lord here? through whom we may inquire of the Lord. An officer of the king of Israel answered, Elisha, and Shaphat, son of Shaphat is here. He used to pour water on the hands of Elijah. He was the servant. He was the son of a prophet. 
Oh, glory to God. But when the prophet was gone and the son had to operate, then he realized, I wonder if what worked for my father will work for me. I wonder if what I watched my father do and that mantle and the anointing that was upon him, I wonder if that anointing and that power and that enablement will work for me. God help us to raise children that will see in their father's anointing and power and grace and say when father is gone, oh, bless be God. I wonder if what God gave to my dad, God will give to me. If what my dad did through the power of the Spirit, I can do through the power of the Spirit. God give us fathers that will leave that kind of legacy to their children. Not only is a father a great protector, he's a great provider. He's a provider. He's the one that goes to work, earns the bread. We even call him the breadwinner. That's not to say that women don't work and women, but God is not going to call a woman up and say, why won't you care for your family? He actually has put that responsibility upon the man, upon the father of those children. Come on, somebody. You used to say amen to that. God, help us to understand that God expects us to take care of our families. Not just protect them, but provide for them. See that their needs are met. Amen. And I'll say for the most part, all you guys do a good job at that. I saw that car you drove in this morning. You're providing pretty good. Amen. And some of you already told me about them steaks you ate yesterday afternoon. So you must be feeding pretty good. And wow, look at them pretty clothes you got on. You must be doing a good job taking care of things. Amen. Hadn't anybody come to me this morning and said, Pastor, will you pay my house payment this month? So you must be making it all right with that. Nobody wants me to pay their power bill for them has asked me this morning. They might have asked you, but they hadn't asked me yet. So maybe all that, hey, we're doing a good job taking care of things. Good job. Come on, ladies, give these guys a good hand. But there's something else God expects us to provide. And I don't know if we do as good a job at that as we do at putting food on the table and clothes on their back and a roof on their head and a car to ride around in. And that is God expects us to provide not just nurture, love, and support. He expects us to provide something else. And that is spiritual guidance and a spiritual example and spiritual things. God is a father and God is a giver. God so loved that he gave. Not only does he, we are taught by God's word to provide those physical, natural things that we need, but God expects us to provide spiritual things. Admonition. Raise your children in the nurture and admonition. That's what I say every time we dedicate children, isn't it? I charge you to raise these children in the love and the admonition of the Lord. Nurture and admonition. Nurture means love and support. Put clothes on their back, food on their table. But also admonition. Put some structure in their life. There are some rules that we live by. And they're communicated first in family and home. Could it be that the reason we've got hellions running our streets is because they were never taught the rules of how to treat people in home and family? You remember the first time you spat at somebody? Barbara said she got her mouth mashed. <laughs> you learn real quick 
that's not something we do. Remember that first time you picked up that piece of food and threw it across the table? Found out real quick, that ain't what we do. You learn in the home and in family. Learn how to treat people. You learn how to get along. There were six of us children. Two girls, four boys. And we had to learn how to get along. Living in a parsonage with one bathroom. Yeah, you get the picture. You better cooperate and work together. Or you'll be stinking and going to the woods and... Yeah. And sometimes you just got to hold it. Because somebody else is in there. And you can bang on the door and holler, hurry up all you want to. If she thinks that'll aggravate you a little bit more, then she's probably going to stay longer. And you can get mad and say, well, you can do your hair in your bedroom. Get out of that bathroom. Scream and holler all you want. That little old thing you slide and do that door is going to keep you out there. You're going to learn that, that's, that you got to get along. Amen. Slapping and knocking. My mother, I told you, my mother don't fight. She loves to fight. She jumped right in the middle of a fight in a New York second. But she didn't fight fair. She'd take a broom handle and whack you across the shins with it and it'd sound like a rifle shot. Or if she had a rolling pin in her hand, Greg, she didn't fight fair, she'd hit you with that. Or if she could get her hand on a flash water, you'd probably get that across your nose. She didn't fight fair, Charles. But she made us realize you can't, you can't win this and boys, you'll lose it every time. If we ever got in a fight, mama got, got right in the middle of it. There never was any take that outside. She just settled it right there. Stopped all that fighting. We learned quick. We knew what time it was when we had to get up. She didn't have to tell you many more times after she told you one time and you found out what the result was if you just laid there. You were happy to get up when she said it's time to get up next time. We learned that at home. We didn't have to learn that at a boss come in. I don't know why it is you're late every day to work. When you hired in here, you said you'd be here at 7 o'clock. You card 710, 7-11, 7-08. What's the matter? What do you not understand about 7 o'clock? You see, when you learn how to get along in family, that, that ought to be done at home. Amen, or oh me. Something else I learned with six children and two adults is we eat at a certain time. We did. And I'm not saying this is the perfect way, it's just how we learned. Because if you don't eat at a certain time, you've got dirty dishes all day long. And you've got stinky food. Amen. We learned, that, we learned that's the best way to do when you got that many people under one roof. And you know what? You couldn't be too picky about ordering your food. It was beans, taters, and cornbread. Today, tomorrow it's cornbread, taters, and beans. <laughs> I never tasted a pizza until I was 16 years old. Didn't know what it was. didn't know anything about all that stuff. A gyro, all I knew that was was a top that we used to spin, you know, when we was kids. Found out there's a sandwich called a gyro. Learned a whole lot of things when I got a little bit older and got out where other people was because in my little family, I was just kind of limited to taters, beans, and cornbread. But you learn how to how to make it in, in the world. And you learn that in society there's certain things that you do and certain things you don't do. 
Amen. And my dad even had stricter rules than that. If we ever got loud at the table, he'd go, let's respect the table, boys. That meant all that loud talking and carrying on that had to go. Whistling. <laughs> we used to all be bad about whistling. Dad would go, I don't want to hear any more whistling. <clears throat> wow. We just understood that that was authority. And hey, if you haven't learned yet in life, you may be 40 years old and you've never learned that there are authorities that you've got to respect. If that blue light comes on, you'd best pull over. <laughs> there are just ways that we've got to decide. But you first learn that at home. Provide not just love and support, but nurture and admonition. Let me tell you something else that a, that a, a father is. A father is not just a protector. He's not just a provider, but he is also a promoter. A true father is for his family. Now, I don't know. He's got a bunch of them lined up right back yonder. Mickey needs to wake one up, but they're, they're at least sitting back there anyway. I don't know of anybody that's more for his family than Don Maddox is. If, if there's any one thing that uh, characterizes Don Maddox, he is all about family. Amen. Uh, he's got all, I can tell you everything about everybody in his family. He is a walking catalog on his family. Knows their birthdays, knows all about them, when they graduate, what year they're in in school, what their favorite color is, what they like to eat, what they don't like to eat. He knows all of those stuff about every one of them, don't you, Don? That's right, he said. A father ought to be a promoter of his family. When God saw his son standing in the midst of Jordan River, he said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. God was for Jesus. He was for his son. He is a father who delights in his son and promotes his son to such a place that he said there's no other name. Under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. You believe God was for Jesus? I better tell you he was for Jesus and established the fact that no other way of salvation than through Jesus. Wow. All things exist for him and all things exist by him. In fact, the whole world is upheld by the word of his mouth, God said. Wow, how pleased with Jesus God must have been that he promotes him. Listen, dads, the devil is after your children. He wants to take away their future from them. He'd love to get them addicted to drugs. He'd love to get them enslaved to alcohol. He would love to get them involved in promiscuity. He'd love to get the bonding, bondage around them so that they can never be the kids that God wants them to be, or grow up to be the people God wants them to be. But if you will be a promoter of your family, if you'll put things that are right and good in your family, the chances are they'll grow up to be what God wants them to be. In fact, he said, bring a child up in the way he should go. In other words, see into the future and realize the potential of that young person and invest in those things positively so that they can become successful. And a lot of that will depend upon you, Dad. Don't come in the door whining. Don't let them hear you sitting around being critical. Don't let your children be around you when you're negative and pessimistic and fault-finding because that's a seed that will get planted in them that will keep them from being what God wants them to be. 
If you've got to talk about the church, get with your wife and you two as one talk about things you need to talk about, but don't do it in front of your children because your children have this idea that that pastor and that preacher is a communicator of righteousness and represents God. If you disdain him before your children, then that man can never reach your children. Boy, did I strike a nerve. That pastor will never be able to help your children if you kill him and assassinate him before your children. Provide for your children. Promote your children. Come on, Connor, and help me quit. Not only is he a promoter of his kids and promotes his families, he's also a priest. A priest. Pastor, I'm not a priest. Yes, you are. We know our definition of priest, don't we? What is it? Where's Jerry Smith? She knows it very well. One who goes to God for people. Dad, I want to ask you something. Do you pray for your family? Do you pray for your children? Do you pray for your wife? Do you pray as the priest of your family? Do you bring your family to God in prayer? Praying. Luke 18 and 1, Jesus just simply said this. He spoke a parable to, them, to this end. That men ought always to pray. Men ought always to pray. I think women should too. But men, he said, always should pray and not faint. As a dad, you need a prayer life. I said, as a dad, you need a prayer life. You are no, no more like your heavenly father than when you get on your knees to pray for your family. You never stand taller than when you get on your knees. The greatest thing you can do for your family, provide for them, yes. Promote them, yes. But to pray for them, to be the one who goes to God for your family, who stands in the gap and makes up the hedge for your family. Ask God, pray over all of those kids. I can remember many times on a Sunday night when we would come in from church and Dad would have preached and given the altar call and all like this and we all six children and Mom and Dad, we would be about to go to bed and that's something we had to do too is pray. I guess besides preach, the most eventful thing I ever beheld about my dad was pray. It was not uncommon for me to be out playing in the yard and hear a strange noise in the church. And I'd go to investigate Greg and I'd find my dad out there in the altar. And Brother Ford, you know my dad. Brother Parrish, you knew my dad. He wasn't a person who prayed lightly. When my daddy prayed, you could hear him above everybody else in the house. And that's when women prayed loud. Buddy, when I was a kid, women, when they prayed at church, you didn't hear the men much because the women drowned them out. Now the women's followed those fathers. They're quiet too. Brother, it used to be in a Pentecostal church when people prayed. Brother, there's nothing like it. One other place, when I was in Korea, Paul Youngi Cho's church, 440,000 members. Can you imagine that? Largest church in the world at the time. Seoul, Korea. And brother, when those people prayed, they had services 25,000 at a time. Can you believe that? 12 services on Sunday, and they lasted one hour, 55 minutes. Five minutes to exit, 25,000 people and get 25,000 in. That don't seem possible, but I saw it before my very eyes. They actually ran to get out and ran to get in. Only time I've ever seen people run to get to church. Run to get to where God is. And when they prayed, I wish I had a video of it. It wasn't just the man on the end of the, of the row. 
but every person in every city. Oh, God, in Jesus' name, God, we just pray in Jesus' name. And just so intently, they just poured their heart out to God. Prayer. Went to Prayer Mountain, where 3,000 people at one time would be on that mountain praying in little, little, little bungalows up there cut into the side of Prayer Mountain. And there was a bell over there, like a dinner bell. And every time, every time that a prayer would be answered, they'd ring the bell. And brother, you're talking about a Pentecostal having a hallelujah hoedown. Brother, when they'd go to clanging that bell, amen. I asked Dr. Cho, I said, how do they know when to come down? He said, they won't come down until they hear the bell ring. Lord of God, isn't that something? They're going to pray till God answers. They're going to stay up there on the side of the mountain until they hear the bell ring that God answered the prayer. Oh, I would to God harvest had a prayer bell that we would ring, that we would beseech the Lord and stay before God until we moved his hand. Hey, I, I, I deal with people who have problems all the time. And I, I, I hear people... Well, Brother Jerry, I just couldn't hold a hand. You want me to tell you why you went back to smoking? You want me to tell you why you went back to drinking? I'm going to tell you why, didn't, why you didn't do what God wanted you to do and you went back to your old life because you didn't pray. Your sin is not the problem. The problem is you won't pray about it. Well, we're going to have to put it up there. Put it up there, Second Chronicles 7, 14. If my people, if my people will humble themselves and do what? I, didn't, I still can't hear you. Pray. you got to be kidding me. If my people will pray, I will Forgive their sin. They'll turn from their wicked ways. I'll hear from heaven. Forgive their sin. Heal their land. God said, your sin is not the problem. We can take care of your problem. If you'll pray, I'll heal. If you'll pray, I'll forgive. The problem is not your sin. The problem is you won't pray. <laughs> got to pray about it. You got to have a prayer life. You got to engage yourself in, in prayer. In fact, not only is God a heavenly Father who provides for us, he, he also prophesies over us. Let me ask you, I asked you a while ago if you prayed for your family, have you ever prophesied over them? Have you ever stood and laid hands on your child? On those Sunday nights, my dad would go around to every one of us and lay his hands upon us while we knelt at the couch and the ottoman, whatever was nearby. And he'd say, God, in Jesus' name, I invoke your, your blessing upon this child. God, in Jesus' name, I ask you to guard his path. I know, O oh Lord, that your hand is upon him, and I ask you to anoint him and enable him, O oh God, and, and put him where you can get the most out of him in the kingdom ministry. Have you laid your hands on your child and spoken a word of prophecy about their destiny. Boy, it got quiet in this house. You need to do that. I said you need to do that. Have you ever stood and told your son, son, there's something great inside you. God has got his hand upon you, and God's got great things. His future for you is bright, and God's purpose and God's plan in your life is bright and it's good, and God's going to keep you and sustain you and answer prayer, and God's going to walk with you, and God's going to help you, and God's going to encourage you, and with his right hand, he's going to uphold you. Have you spoke those positive things into your children? I didn't hear anybody say yes. My mind goes back to a time, I think it's in Genesis, when Rachel was about to give birth to her second son Genesis chapter 35 and 18 and it came to pass as her soul was in departing for she died and she said to her husband she said I know you're the father and I know the father 
is the one who names children. But I want you to name this child Benoni, which means child of my suffering, son of my pain, son of my suffering. But his daddy said, I'm not going to let that be his destiny. I'm not going to be the prophecy that I'm going to speak over him. I'm not going to speak suffering and pain and anguish and sorrow. I'm going to call his name Benjamin, which means son of my right hand, son of my strength, son of my power, son of my victory, my grace. God, give us fathers that will prophesy over their children and say, my child's not going to grow up to be a nobody. My child is not going to grow up to be enslaved by sin. My child is not going to grow up to be addicted to drugs. In Jesus' name, I speak a prophecy over my son. I speak a prophecy over my daughter. In Jesus' name, she'll be a, a lover of God and a servant of God. He'll be a servant of God. He'll be used of God all the days of his life. He'll be lent to the Lord. One more and I'm through. Do you remember when Abraham went down into Egypt and picked up Hagar? Brought Hagar back with him out of Egypt. And Sarah, 90 years old, had a prophecy that she would give birth to a child and that through that child all the families of the earth would be blessed and that the promise, the blessing, was through that child. She's 90 years old. Well past, the Bible said, the times of childbearing. She decided it's not going to happen. She gave up. She caved in. So she said, God, I've got a better way. Rather than my dead womb, I've got a servant over here. Her name is... Hagar, I'm just going to let her be a surrogate in my place and the promise will come through another. Have you ever given up on God and said it's not going to happen? Have you ever had a promise that God gave you and it looked bleak and it looked like that, that, that just is impossible, that's not going to happen and you'd waited and waited and year after year until you'd be convinced it's not going to happen it's a lost cause. I better, might as well do something myself about it. Come on, all of us have been there. So Hagar went in and Abraham, they conceived a child. And what was his name? Come on, Bible readers, have I failed you in 32 years? You don't know who that is. Ishmael. Ishmael, who is the father of all the Muslim people of the earth. You see, if it hadn't been for Sarah's decision to undermine God, there wouldn't be any Arab-Israeli conflict. If it had not been for Hagar and Sarah undermining God, and come on, ladies, and holler amen for me. Where in the world was Abraham in all this? My God, stand up and be a man. Don't let them two women bull over you and tell you what you're going to do. My God, stand up. But he wimped out and let the plan of the women work. Next thing you know, he's got a big problem. Now he's got Ishmael, who is now an older child. And one day here comes some visitors riding up actually angels, and they come by and say, oh, have we got news for you? Next year, somebody say next year. Next year, about this time, Sarah is going to have a baby and brother. And she thought that was so funny and so hilarious that behind the curtain where she was uh, Facebooking, Sorry, that just slipped out. She laughed. And the angel said, call his name Isaac, which means laughter. I didn't laugh, she said. Well, it's bad enough you did it. Don't lie about it. 
I'm glad they didn't name him liar. I'm glad he just got the laughter part of it. But now we've got a problem. Now we've got the real promise and we've got the substitute promise. Now we've got to deal with a problem. And the baby starts growing and he becomes a, a toddler. He becomes a, a young adolescent. And by now Ishmael is about 16 years old. And we're having a birthday party for Isaac. And the Bible said that Ishmael stood off and made fun and mocked Isaac. And when Sarah saw that, she said, I'm not going to allow the promise of God to grow up in a home where he's laughed at and made fun of and mocked. Abraham, Hagar, and Ishmael have got to go because the promise of God, the blessed, can't grow up in a home where he's made fun of. Come on, fathers. Brother, Abraham loved Ishmael. And he went to God and said, God, please don't make me do this. God, please. Lord, you know, you know how dads love children. And Ishmael is my son. God, please, please don't make me send him away. Come on, ladies, you better holler amen right here. And God told Abraham, do what your wife said. Oh, you bunch of wimps. That's the best you can do. That's the biggest punch I got for y'all all day. Let me say it again. God said, obey your wife. There you go. Way to go. That's better. They can at least get it on the tape that you at least agreed. Listen to your wife. Man, if you'd have listened to your wife before, you got in trouble. You listened to her once before. You didn't go pray. You didn't say, hey, God, what you think about her plan? God would say, don't listen to her. But now then things have changed and we got a problem. And God said, listen to her. So women, where does that place you? 50-50? Sometimes you're right and sometimes you're wrong about half the time. Uh-oh. <laughs> got in a mess now, had I? So he sent Ishmael and he sent Hagar out into the desert. And listen to this little tidbit here that shows you something. Said, gave them water and provisions for about a day. And he sent them into the, well, what kind of a father is that, pastor? That would send Hagar and his son out into the desert and after she drank all of the water and they'd eat a little bit of food, she told him, go over here and sit by that tree. And she sat right here and she said, well, I think I'm just going to die right here. But when I, I really prayed about that, God said, no, that was faith. That was what? Faith? Yeah, it takes faith to send a woman and a teenager into a desert with water for a day and provision for a day. You must believe that if God said send them, that God's going to take care of them. You must know that if God told you what to do, then God's going to take care of that situation. And he did. And while she was sitting there, well, I'm just going to die. I hate God that I'm going to sit here and watch my son die. But look what, what I, where I've got. And an angel came and said, let me prophesy over you a little bit. Let me just prophesy. You're going to be the mother of a man who has become the father of many nations. The blessing. Woo, the blessing. He's going to be a father of many, many, many nations. Many peoples. And God said, I'll, I'll be a God to them. Wow. Can you believe that? that God takes care of our mistakes and our wrongdoings, that God works it out. Touch your neighbor and say, God will work it out. 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 I may not can work it out because the more I work at it, the bigger mess I make. But God can work it out. 
He can do what no other power can do. He can speak to people that won't listen to me. He can trouble people's sleep, but I don't know what time they went to bed. He can whisper in somebody's ear that will never lean toward me. He can do what nobody else can do. He can fix it. For families and for our nation, for our church, God can fix it. Anybody need God to fix something this morning? Stand with me, please. Glory to God. Our Heavenly Father protects us, provides for us, prays for us, prophesies over us. What a great God we have, a great Father. I hope I've shown you something from scriptures today to show you what good fathers do, how good fathers act. And if we're coming behind in some of those areas, let's take that step forward and say, Lord, today I'm going to step up. I found out from your word some areas that I hadn't been doing that I need to be doing, especially about my children. And in Jesus' name, I'll do better. Can anybody in this house say, in Jesus' name, I'll do better? Can anybody say, I'm going to be a better father than I've ever been? In Jesus' name. Wow, boy, I didn't get much. That's about as weak as y'all were saying amen to Sarah. Maybe you're sleepy. Get you some rest today. God, go with our people. Keep them safe from harm and danger. God, give them an enjoyable time today with their family as they come to visit with Dad and have Father's Day. And I ask you to keep us, O oh Lord, the center of your will. And may we be fathers that instill a legacy in our children that you would be pleased with. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you and God go with you. It's my prayer. You be careful and have a great day.